Anyway, today uh, I get to do something I, I love with all my heart. I mean, every Sunday I get to preach, or pretty much every Sunday, which, which I love. Last week I told you I was talking about one of my least favorite topics. Uh, I, I just don't like asking people for money. It's something I've never felt super comfortable with, even though I know God moves. Um, I know that God, God is incredible when we give. It's not my favorite topic. Today is my favorite topic. So uh, we get to talk about worship today. Today I'm going to talk to you about making room for God to move through worship. Uh, I, I am passionate about Jesus. I am passionate about his church. I am passionate about evangelism. There's a lot of things I get really excited to talk about. There's nothing I get more excited to talk about than worship. Uh, so I cannot wait to get in today's message with you. As you notice, we did one song at the beginning of our message, uh, or our, our service today, because we're going to do four songs on the back end. So we're going to get a chance to walk out exactly what we talk about today. We're going to get to put it in to practice. So go with me to 2 Kings chapter 3. In order for us to go forward, that would be forward, right? We're going to go backwards in our series. If you've been with us over the past few months, we started this series all the way back on January the 8th. We finish it next Sunday. We're going to talk about making room for the lost, making room for others. Today is our second to last message in the series, and we're going to go back to our second message in the series. Kind of cool how God has bookended it. We started the series with some foundations about making room. Uh, in our second message, we talked about digging ditches uh, and how we, we've got to dig ditches and make some space for God to send the rain. Uh, and in that message, we saw something cool. And I said, hey, we're going to come back to this later on in the series. And when I said that, I didn't realize later on was going to be like three months later. Uh, I didn't know how much later it was going to be before we got back to it. But today we get back to it. Uh, and so if you remember in 2 Kings chapter 3, what's going on is there's, there's this battle. Uh, and three kings have gone off to war together, I believe, against Moab. It's the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and another neighboring king have joined with them to go to this battle, uh, and they get out on their way to the battlefield, and they run out of water. There's no water for them. There's no water for their animals. Somebody didn't plan well. Uh, the weatherman didn't forecast right. Something went wrong, and they're about to dehydrate. Uh, and so the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, who is the godly king in this story, there's a couple ungodly kings, but there's one godly king, uh, he says, isn't there a man of God in Israel? Uh, isn't there a man of God around here that we can call on? Or excuse me, the, the king of Israel says it to Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat says, yes, there is a man of God. His name's Elisha. And so they call Elisha, this incredible prophet. And this is kind of like the, the launch of his ministry career. He's been the understudy to Elijah. He's been overshadowed by Elijah. Elijah was, was cool. Elijah had drip. Elisha was bald. Uh, Elisha didn't have the same vibes that Elijah had. Uh, and yet God uses Elisha twice as much as he used Elijah. Uh, and so we see this is Elisha's first big miracle. Uh, and so they come to Elisha. They ask Elisha, hey, we need water. Can God send some water? And this is Elijah's response. Verse 14 in 2 Kings chapter 3. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives. What a great Easter statement. The Lord Almighty surely lives. Amen. He says, as surely as he lives, whom I serve. If I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not even look at you or notice you. So this wicked king, this rebellious king, this king who doesn't serve God, doesn't honor God, worships false gods, comes to God looking for a miracle. And isn't it amazing how often that we disobey, we live our own life, we don't honor God, but man, when we need something, God, will you show up? And so Elisha says, I'm going to speak to you, but not out of respect to you, I'm going to speak to you out of respect for your friend. Uh, it pays to have godly friends. 
It pays to know people who love Jesus. It pays to be around people who, who know how to seek God. He says, I wouldn't look at you or even notice you, verse 15, but now bring me a harpist. As Elisha needs a word from God, as they need a miracle from God, he says, let's get some background music. Uh, my, there, there's a, a TV program uh, that's been recorded in our family a couple times recently, and the recordings haven't had the background music in them. Somehow something's gone wrong on the DVR, and so you have the show but not the music. And the show without the music ain't that good. Right? Like, like it, it's amazing the difference that background music makes to an atmosphere. And so Elisha says, I need some atmosphere. I need some background music. And, and he didn't just go get a harpist who was talented. I believe they got a harpist who was anointed. And there's a difference. There are people who are gifted musically, gifted instrumentally, but that doesn't mean that they love God. And I believe they got a harpist who was gifted instrumentally, but also who had a heart for God. So they got somebody with some, some, some anointing. It said, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. So as the harpist is, is creating this atmosphere, God begins to move. Why are we in a Make Room series? Because we want to see God move. Well, I've been talking about this for 12 long weeks. I've heard about making room and heard about making room and talked about it in prayer and reading the word and all this stuff and in giving. Why do we keep talking about making room? Because I believe God wants to do something in your life. Because I believe God's got a plan for your family that was greater than what you experienced last year. Because I believe God wants to show up mightily and strong in your life. And in order for us to see it happen, we've got to make some room. So they make room for God to move. They create an atmosphere for God to speak, and he does. And Elisha said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. So they dug a, dug a bunch of ditches, and God sent the rain. And those ditches became troughs for the livestock. They collected the water. He didn't just send water that ran through the valley and did them no good. He got them prepared for the move of God. There's things we have to do before God can move so we're ready when the move of God arrives. That's the whole idea of digging a ditch. So let's focus in today on the worship aspect of this. Worship creates an atmosphere for God to move. Why do we sing every Sunday before we get into the message? Before we open the word of God, why do we come in and we do some praise and we do some worship and we lift our voices and, and maybe some of us lift our hands? Why is that so important? Why is, it, is that just like the, it's just the way that we do church, right? That's just the way we always done it, so that's the way we're going to do it. I believe that worship creates an atmosphere for God to speak. I believe I'm a better preacher when I get to get up here and talk to you after having entered into the presence of God with you than I just came up here and talked to you without that. I believe God could still speak and God would still move. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God only moves in worship or that worship is the only way that this happens. But I do believe worship is a catalyst for something in our lives. And when I say worship, I don't mean going through the motions of worship. I don't mean checking the box of worship. I mean actually lifting our hearts and lifting our minds and choosing, I'm going to glorify my king today. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to give my heart to him. And when we do that, there's something that breaks. There's something that happens. There's something God does in the spirit. So what is it that happens? PT, what does God do? Well, what happens 
when we worship. I want to share with you very quickly three things. And you've probably heard these three things at some points in time. These might be some reminders. We're going to talk about these real quick. And then we're going to talk about some ways that we can make room for God to worship. And then we're going to worship. We're going to take some time and we're going to live this thing out. We're going to walk this thing out. So what happens when we worship? The first thing I want you to write down is this. When we worship, worship makes walls come down. You ever felt like you were like up against the wall? Like, man, we just can't get through this. We can't get past this. I'm just beating my head up against this thing. There's this issue in my life that I just can't seem to get any traction. Can't seem to get any momentum. I need to be on the other side of this thing, but I'm still on this side of thing. Worship actually makes walls come down. There's a famous story that illustrates this very beautifully for us. It's Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And we used to sing about it like in children's church, right? The, the, the walls came tumbling down. Uh, and it, what we see is, is as this army of Israel starts to move in to take the promised land, the area that God had set aside for them, that he had promised for them, the first city they come to, after they cross the Jordan River and come into the promised land is Jericho. It's, it's this strong, large city that, that, that is fortified with walls. And here's this army that they've never fought a battle. They, they, they've never gone to war. They've never experienced this. They're, they're slaves. They've just come out of slavery. They're actually 40 years out of slavery. So really they're the sons and daughters of slaves. Uh, and they've, they've never seen battle. They don't know what it's like. And so as they go into their first battle, God says, I'm going to win this one for you. All right, I'm going to put a W on your account before you ever have to pick up a sword, before you ever have to go to war for yourself. I'm giving you the first one, but I'm asking you to obey me in order to receive it. And so what do they do? They march around the walls one day. Day two, they march around the walls. Day three, they march around the walls. Day four, they march around the walls. Day five, they march around the walls. Day six, they march around the walls. They're, ra they're racking up their Fitbit steps, right? Now they're just walking around the walls, and the people in Jericho are watching them, and they're looking at them like these people are crazy. They just keep walking around, but, but Jericho's terrified because these people are crazy, right? You don't, you don't want to go to war with crazy people. You want to go to war with people you understand, and they don't understand what Israel's up to. Why do they keep marching around? What's going on? And in the march, they strategically put the worship team at the front. Uh, now, I like that idea because that means that Hunter going out first. Uh, so... <laughs> Right? Uh, so, so we're going to put the worship team up front. They can be the ones that are on the front lines, and the rest of us are going to be protected. But that's not why they put the worship team up front. They put the worship team up front because they were going to enter the presence of the promised land, the place that God had for them, the place that God had called them to, the territory that God wanted to enlarge. If you remember, we talked about making room for more. We talked about the prayer of Jabez, and Jabez said, expand my territory. Their territory is about to expand. God's about to give them something that they've never had before. But the way that they come into that is with praise. It's with worship. It's with trumpets and a shout. And so they do it. And then on day seven, which biblically seven is the number of completion. Uh, seven is the, the number of perfection. It's God's number. And so that's why God created for six days. He rested on the seventh day, right? The seventh day is the number of completion. And so on day seven, instead of marching around one time, they march around seven times. They get their extra steps in. And as they complete it, they shout. They worship. And as they worship, the walls come down. God brings them victory. I don't know what wall you're up against. What addiction, what habit, 
what, what stagnation in your relationship with God, your relationship with others. I don't know what wall you're facing, but if you need a wall to come down, biblically, one of the best ways you can see that happen is just begin to worship. Just begin to lift him up. Just begin to praise him. Praise is, is worship that comes out of your lips. Okay, it's when you say, God, you are good. God, you've done this for me. God, I believe you've got the ability to move in this way. And so worship makes walls come down for us. Let me illustrate it for you very quickly in the text in Joshua chapter 6. Uh, in Joshua 6, it says, it says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. They marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest shouted the trumpet blast, or sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you a city. I believe that God's given us a city. I believe that God's called us to a city. And as we're believing for salvation Wednesday night, as we're believing for salvation Easter Sunday, as we're believing for God to provide through a giving campaign so we can reach more people, so we can reach a city by reaching one the way that God has called us to, one of the ways that that's going to happen is if we just take up our worship to another notch. We take our worship to a whole new level. If we believe him in new ways and we begin to shout for victory. Can we just do that? I know it's awkward for somebody to ask that. Can we shout for victory? Can we shout in faith? Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. I, I got one row right here that gets it. Uh, thank y'all. We need you. We need that passion. The rest of us, we got some work to do. I started to shout, but I have a microphone on, and so I didn't want to like burn out your ears, you know, uh, and my mic pack is on the other side today, the normal one, so I went to reach for it to mute it, and it wasn't there, uh, so I didn't shout, uh, but we're going to shout some praise because we believe that God brings victory, that God actually brings the walls down, amen, amen, so what else happens when we worship? Number two, worship sets captives free. Worship sets captives free. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in Macedonia. God has called them to Macedonia. In fact, they had wanted to go somewhere else, and the Spirit of God said, no, you can't go over there. I want you to go here. And so they're where? They're in the center of God's will. And as they're in the center of God's will, and they're ministering, and they're telling people about Jesus, they get arrested and thrown in prison. Sometimes you're not in prison because of mistakes of your own. Sometimes you're not in prison because you picked up a bad habit, because you have an addiction. Sometimes we find ourselves in chains and in a place because we're actually in the very center of God's will. We're actually doing what God wants us to do. And so they weren't there by their own failure. They were there by their obedience. But they were in chains and the same. In fact, they had been placed in the center cell, in the one that was most secure. This was, this was maximum security. And they're in stocks, they're in chains, they have no way to go anywhere. And in the middle of the night in prison, what do Paul and Silas do? Acts chapter 16 says this, 20, verse 25 says, about midnight. Everybody say about midnight. I'm a night person, so I like this verse. This is a verse for me. This is a life verse. Uh, I'm, I'm somebody who's not great at getting to bed. Uh, about midnight, in the middle of the night, God still moves. Praise God for people like me, right? About midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about the injustice of it all. They were organizing a GoFundMe to get their bail money. About midnight, Paul and Silas were questioning God, how did we get in this position? 
They were rallying protesters to come outside the jail and ask for them to be released for this injustice. About midnight, Paul and Silas were in prayer, and they were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I like that it says that, listening to them. About midnight, they probably weren't listening real gratefully, uh, right? They probably weren't listening like, man, they got some good voices. Uh, Shut up! If your God loved you so much, you wouldn't be in here. If your God was who he said he was, you wouldn't have to deal with this. They're probably mocking them with the, the author of Acts, Luke, is gentle to the other prisoners. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. Somebody needs to grab a hold of that. Maybe the prison isn't yours. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe you got a loved one that's in chains. Maybe you got a loved one that is in chains because of their mistakes. Maybe it's not physical prison. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a spiritual prison. Maybe it is a bondage of addiction. Maybe it's just a bondage of darkness. Maybe it's just a a child who has wandered from God and they were trained up in the way they should go. And you're standing on the promises of scripture, but you haven't seen them come back yet. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Not just the walls, not just the chains, the actual foundation of the prison itself was shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. I want you to see this. Paul and Silas worshipped, and their worship freed them from their chains, but it did just free them. Their worship actually set others free. Paul and Silas were there unjustly. The rest of the prisoners probably weren't. The rest of the prisoners probably belonged there. It was probably a situation like Jesus on the cross. Jesus was there unjustly surrounded by two thieves who were there justly. And yet, even though these other prisoners belonged there, even though they earned their punishment, even though they were there for the right reasons, because Paul and Silas had the faith to worship when it was inconvenient. They had the faith to worship when it wasn't their favorite song. When they had the faith to worship out of their own initiation, instead of waiting for somebody else to say, come on, let's lift our voices. Instead of waiting for somebody else to say, clap your hands. Instead of waiting for somebody else to say, lift your hands to Jesus, Paul and Silas did it themselves. And because they worshiped, other people got set free. Who you want to see get set free? I mean, it starts with you, right? If you need some freedom. Worship for your freedom. Worship so your chains will be broken. But you may have a loved one. You may have a friend. You may have a coworker. Hopefully you got somebody that you're believing for some freedom. You got somebody that you're believing God's going to reach them. You got somebody that you're taking their name before the throne of Jesus. Start worshiping like you haven't worshiped before. This wasn't a normal worship service. This was a Sunday morning where everybody gathered and they all worshiped together. Kumbaya. This was an act of their own will, of their own decision, in a place that was unfamiliar, in a style that was uncomfortable, in ways where it did not come easy. They didn't wait for somebody else to create the atmosphere. They created the atmosphere of worship, and they lifted their hearts. And God moved. We're going to sing in a little bit together, and I'm so grateful we get to sing together. I love singing together. But please, if all you take this as, as a message of I should worship when I'm at City Church, you're missing the point. It's easy when we're at City Church. We've got an awesome worship team. 
figured we got good music, man. It's easy. Other people are singing. Man, Teresa's usually here, and if you can't worship next to Teresa, you can't worship. Right? Like, like she's going to go into the presence of God with you or without you. And so there's an atmosphere that's created, and I'm grateful for that atmosphere. But the maturity of a worshiper is when I can create the atmosphere on my own. I'm going to choose to go in God's presence. I'm going to choose to lift him up. I'm going to choose to give him glory, even when it's not as easy, even when it's not as comfortable, even when it's not as natural, even when somebody else didn't make the choice for me. I'm going to praise because I believe it's going to set some captives free. In the midst of their dark circumstances, in the midst of injustice, Paul and Silas went to God and worshiped. It's a recognition that God's worth it no matter what I'm going through. Good days and bad days. Man, high days and low days. When everything feels great and when everything feels awful, he's just and worth it. And they lifted him up in prison. And God moved mightily. You see God move? You want to make some room for God to move? Let's worship and see some captives set free. Amen? Amen. Number three way that God moves through worship, things that happen when we worship, is worship ushers in the presence of God. You've probably heard it said that God inhabits the praises of his people. When God's people praise him, when we open our mouth and give him praise, he shows up. Now, the awesome thing about New Testament Christianity is he's already here. His Holy Spirit already lives in us. He goes everywhere with us. So what happens when we worship is not, hey, he wasn't already there, but there's an intensification of his presence. Another way we could say it is there's an increased awareness. I don't know if you see, you know, all these campaigns about this disease or that disease, but hey, we're going we're to raise awareness of this. What does worship do? Worship raises awareness of the Holy Spirit. It raises awareness of God's presence. He's already there, but a lot of times we don't feel him. A lot of times we're not hearing him. A lot of times we're disconnected from him. We're distant from him, not because he moved, but because we did. We've tuned a deaf ear to him. And what does worship do? Worship tunes in our antenna to the voice of God. It increases and ushers in the presence of God manifest in our lives. We see this story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, my favorite person in scripture is David. David is my middle name. It's my dad's name, my grandpa's name, my son's middle name. I love David. Uh, David is this character I've identified with my whole life because David loved God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. He was known as a worshiper. David also was a failure. David also knew how to blow it really big, but David had one incredible characteristic in his life besides being a worshiper. David knew how to repent. We see many times in the book of Psalms where David is repenting through worship. One of my favorite things in the presence of worship is God will speak to me and he'll show me ways that I've let him down this week. Ways that I haven't lived up to my promises to him, my commitments to him. And the Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so as I have an increased awareness of the presence of God through worship, many times I'm, I'm repenting. God, forgive me. God, I committed this, and I didn't follow through. God, I did this, and I shouldn't. I mistreated this person or whatever the situation might be. And so many times, worship will actually bring us to a place where, where we're drawn to repentance. And why, man, that doesn't sound like fun. I thought worship was exciting. I don't want to repent. Man, repentance is amazing. One of the greatest feelings. 
you restore fellowship with your God. Man, there's something that happens. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so David understood that. So let's, let's see David in this story in 2 Kings. Second Kingual. Just made up a whole new book of the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 6. The Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence physically dwelt on earth. It's a place where the Ten Commandments were. It was placed in, in the, the tabernacle and eventually in the temple in this place called the Holy of Holies. Where, where only one person could come in once a year. A priest had gone through a ton of purification ceremonies to be in the presence of God. And the ark had been stolen. Israel had rebelled and dishonored God. And so the Philistines had come in and they had stolen the ark. And they'd taken the ark back to, the, to, to their nation. And then stuff started happening. They started getting tumors. They, like, like, just bad stuff started happening. So they moved it from one town to the next town. And everywhere it went, bad stuff happened to the Philistines. So finally they said, we're sending it back. They, they strapped it to some oxen. We don't need this thing. They sent it back, and the ark comes back into Israel. And so Israel receives the ark, and they're bringing it back to the tabernacle. And there's a, there's a parade. There's a celebration. The presence of God has returned to Israel. And, and as they celebrate, David the king, let's just pick the story up in verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod. So wearing these, this ceremonial garment of worship. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. When's the last time you danced before God with all your might? When's the last time you just went with reckless abandon? We got too many white people in the room, right? We're like, never? Uh, we don't do that, Pastor Troy. That's not how we roll. Um, I, I get it. Uh, dancing is not high on my list of skills either. Sadly, my wife will tell you. Uh, I, I understand uh, this is something that only happens in the privacy with nobody around, right? Uh, there, there is power in dancing before God. And just, and just letting go and saying, man, it's celebration. Right? What, what is dancing? Dancing is something we do when, man, we're feeling the mood. I'm not going to do that again. I'm sorry. Uh, but, like, when, when you're feeling the music, right, when you're getting in the moment, like, it's something we do when we just let ourselves go. And David let himself go before the presence of God. He celebrated before God. Verse 15, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, this is David's wife. She watched from a window from the palace. This is the queen. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Michael was a princess. She grew up the daughter of a king. And she never saw daddy dance before him. That's not what a king does. King's dignified. A king is royal. This is below you and beneath you, David, to celebrate before God like that. Don't you know what it means to be a king? This, this little lowly shepherd boy is coming out of you. You weren't raised well enough to know how a king is supposed to operate. She despised him in her heart. We don't do that thing we do with David. Verse 20, we'll skip forward just a bit. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked and full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And I love, love, love David's response to this. He is dishonored and disrespected for worshiping. He's judged for worshiping. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. Who chose me rather than 
your daddy. Mm-hmm. Or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. They were through some shade back. Uh, you think your dad knows what it means to be king? Your dad got removed as king and God gave it to me. And maybe this is why. He said, I will celebrate before the Lord. Can we say that today? I will celebrate before the Lord. And he said, I will become even more undignified than this. You think I gave up my dignity today? Girl, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to worship with all my might. I'm going to worship with all my strength. I'm going to worship with all my body. I'm not withholding anything from here. There's a day where we'll be in heaven and we will worship with all we got. But now we have the opportunity to choose to give him our best before we have to. So I will celebrate. And then he says this, and I will become, I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor. David understood that worship is about the one you're worshiping, not about the people next to you. How often do we lower our worship to the level of what seems acceptable at our church? By our neighbors, perhaps by our family. How often do we restrain ourselves to maintain our dignity? David was the king. He had it all. And yet he said, my God is worthy of even everything I got. Here's my encouragement for you this morning as we get into worship here in just a few moments. Don't worship to the level of your comfort today. Worship to the level of his worth. One of my favorite things about City Church is we are this giant mixed bag melting pot of misfits in a lot of ways, right? Like we got a whole lot of transplants from other parts of the country at City Church. We, we have a number of families that are like, she was raised Catholic and he was raised Baptist and we tried a whole lot of churches and we couldn't find anything that both of us were okay with and this just felt like a good middle ground. We got all these crazy backgrounds of church, and we got some people who grew up very traditional and very liturgical. And, and man, worship to you was whispering out a song from the hymn book, and that was how we worship. And then we got these crazy charismatic people over here, and, and they're, they're used to dancing before God, and they're used to selling out, and they're used to shouting. And, and for us, man, we're like, come on, you city church, get, get it together, right? And so for some of you, we crazy, and for some of you, we ain't crazy enough. Uh, and, and so we've got this, this mixed experience levels at our church, and I love that. I love that we represent so many different places. we got a vision to be a church that looks like heaven. And heaven's going to be full of people of all denominations, of all worship styles, of all backgrounds. Okay? And so it's not that one style is superior to another or one place is better than another. I had to learn this lesson in Bible college because I, I grew up on the crazy charismatic side. Okay? I get a little fired up. Uh, I enter into worship a little passionately. That's where I grew up. That's normal and comfortable to me. And I know for some of you that's crazy. But, but I had to learn this in Bible college because I went to Bible college and there's a whole lot of people there that didn't grow up worshiping like I did. And I thought I was better than them. I thought I was superior to them because I was a better worshiper. Uh, and, and there were different, we had chapel every day of the week and every day of the week there was a different style of worship. 
And I had like two days of chapel that I looked forward to. I was like, I get to worship. I get to enter in. This is my jam. This is how I roll. These are my songs. And it was about two or three days a week where I was like, this ain't worship. And God convicted me. He said, are you worshiping a style? Are you worshiping a song? Or are you worshiping a savior? Because if you really love me, you can worship me to any style. You can worship me to any song. It doesn't have to be your favorite. It doesn't have to be what you're comfortable with, what you're experienced with. If your heart is to glorify me, you can glorify me through any of this. So my encouragement today is this. Don't worship to the level of your comfort. Don't worship because, hey, I love this song, but in that next song, I don't know that one, so I'm going to pick this one out. I heard that one too many times, man. We've done it. Why, why do we keep doing this song? Man, I'm done with it, right? Like, how dare us determine the worth of our Savior based on the selection of a song? How selfish can we be to make this thing about us when we have a God who sits on the throne? We have a God who loves us and who is for us and who wants to move mightily in our lives. Don't worship to the level of your comfort. Worship to the level of his worth. So some of us were like, this is how we raise it. Right? We're comfortable here. For some of us, we're comfortable here. For some of us, we're comfortable here. Uh, don't settle for what's normal for you today. Take a step and give God a little bit more. Again, I'm not saying one style is superior to another, but biblically, more expressive is superior to less expressive. And that's not to say that those who are more expressive are better Christians. Please don't hear me. But it is to say that those who are more expressive are experiencing God at a greater level. He's showing up to a place in their life. We're going to experience him to the point of our discomfort. So let's go to where we're not comfortable. Let's worship him in a place beyond what we're used to, beyond our routine, beyond our ritual. This is how I normally do it. And watch him move. Very, real, real quick, I want to give you four different ways we can worship. Four ways you can make room for him in worship. And the worship team is going to come up and I'm going to get out of the way. First one is this. Psalm 34 one says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise. Everybody say praise. praise. Praise will always be on my lips. What is praise? Praise is when you speak out. When your mouth lifts up God. He's done this for me. This is who he is. So I want to encourage you today. I want you to praise God. And when I say praise God, I'm not asking you for Christian karaoke. I'm not asking you to just say the words that you see on a screen. That's a starting point that helps create an atmosphere for us. Praise God for it. But sometime during our worship set today, I want you to start talking to God just on your own right where you're at. Just start praising him. Just start telling him how good he's been to you. Start telling him how much you love him and appreciate him. I'm not even asking you for prayer requests at this point, though I think it's great, man, in worship to go before God and put stuff before him. But praise is just simply God word, looking at him and saying, God, you're worthy. God, I love you. God, you're good. God, you're gracious. It's expressing that praise to him, so we're going to praise him. Next, Psalm 66 says this, says, shout for joy. Everybody say shout. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Some of us, we did not grow up as shouters, uh, at least not in church. We might shout at the ball game. Uh, we might shout at our family, uh, but we ain't shouting for Jesus. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to shout. 
Sometimes we'll say, can we give God a shout of praise? And you'll be like, man, is that just an empty ritual? Why do we do that? What did they do at the walls of Jericho? They completed the march seven times, and then they shouted for victory. They shouted because God is moving. They shouted because they trusted that the God they serve is worth it. Some of us are going to have to turn up some volume a little bit today. We're going to shout. He says to all the earth, he says, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. So we're going to shout, we're going to sing. We are going to sing along with the song. You, you may, man, start having God give you a new song where, where you sing out something from your heart that's not on the screen. That's not the words of the congregation. That's okay too. Man, sing to him, praise him. Psalm 134 says this, doing a lot in the book of Psalms. It says, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Everybody say, that's me. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are a servant of the Lord. You have signed up to be his servant. You may not know that, but you did. Congratulations. He says, I was minister by night in the house of the Lord. Midnight, right? The middle of the night. Coming in. And then it says, lift up your hands. Everybody say, lift up your hands. <laughs> lift up your hands. Like, did I put deodorant on today? Am I supposed to? Right? Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. What is the sanctuary? The sanctuary is the place where God's presence dwells. And so for a lot of churches, they're going to call this room the sanctuary, and I get it. I grew up in that church, and we treated that place with reverence, and I understand why we did. We don't call it the sanctuary. We call it our auditorium. Why? Because this is the sanctuary. Because God goes with you. He ain't just a city church. Praise God, he's at city church. Praise God, he's here. Man, praise God, he shows up when we gather, and there's two or more, and when we draw into his presence, and all those promises are true. He is here, but this isn't the sanctuary because God doesn't live here. God lives here. So what does that mean? It means we can lift our hands and worship, not just here. Wherever we go, he's there. You're in the sanctuary. You're in the presence of God. And so why do we lift our hands? You've probably heard it said it's the international sign of surrender, right? If you go to the other side of the world and you don't speak the language and somebody sticks a gun at you and asks for your wallet, you're going to be like, you just know, right? Like surrender, take it all. Take whatever you want. What do we tell God when we lift our hands and worship? God, take whatever you want. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not reserving anything from you. Whatever you need to get rid of, whatever you need to change, whatever you want to put in me, I'm just surrendering and you're in charge. But it's not just a sign of surrender. Let me give you two other metaphors that will help you and encourage you. Raise your hands is also a sign of celebration. It's a sign of victory, right? Like I'm, I'm a sports fan. My team does something good. A lot of times, yes! Right? Like my hands go up in celebration of victory. We got some victory to celebrate, church. We got a victorious God. We got a God who's won for us, who's raised from the dead, and who's given us new life. We got something to celebrate. Let me give you one more. This doesn't happen very often. But every once in a while, especially if my kids hurt. My three-year-old Noah will come to me, and he'll lift up his hands. He's asking me to pick him up. He's asking me to comfort him. He's asking me to, to love him, to tell him it's going to be okay to kiss his boo-boo or whatever it is that needs to happen in that moment. And when you lift your hands to God, you're saying, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, do something in my life. Comfort me. Encourage me. Tell me that I've got what it takes. Tell me that I'm going to make it through this. Tell me that it's going to be okay. You're asking him, inviting him to wrap his arms around you. Man, lifting your hands is powerful. There's so many great things. Last thing to share this. Worship team, you can go ahead and come down. Psalm 5 uh, says this. 
verse 7 says, but I, by your great love, so not in my strength, in his, I can come into your house. Why can't we come here? Because God loves us. Because God already made the first move. Because Jesus already paid the price for our sins. And then it says, in reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. We don't do a lot of reverence. We don't do a lot of respect in our culture. We don't have kings in America that we bow in their presence before. And so we might miss this in our culture. It's something that made a lot of sense in their culture. But if you were in the presence of somebody who was greater than you, you didn't stay on your feet. You got down on your knees. Before the one is a sign of respect, I almost just fell off the stage on my knees. That would have been a moment to remember historical day in City Church. That would have been awesome. Praise God it didn't happen. Uh, we bow down in reverence and recognition that somebody greater than me is in here. And that may be like, Way beyond anything you've ever tried. Way beyond anything you've experienced. I want to encourage you today to worship beyond your level of comfort. Instead, worship to the level of his word in your life. So if you're not a shouter, today's the day to shout. If you're not a hand raiser, today's the day to raise your hands. If you're a barely raiser, today's the day to take them up, right? If you're a crossed arms, let's go here. Like I want you to go beyond your level of comfort today. There's other ways to worship. We just talked about four. You can dance. We talked about that a little bit. You can lay prostrate before the Lord. That's when you're on your face before God. There's a lot of expressions of worship. What I want you to do today is I want you to feel free to worship. I want you to worship. I don't want to say worship the way you feel comfortable. I want to say worship the way you don't feel comfortable. Give him some glory in a way that you're not accustomed to. Go beyond what's easy, beyond what's normal. If you would stand with me, we're going we're gonna to lift our hands. And I want to ask you to do it this way. Would you lift your hands in this posture? This is a posture of receiving. So we're going to ask God for boldness. We're going to ask God for courage today. We're going to ask God for a revelation of his worth in our life that we can worship him to the level of his worth. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to ask you to